Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 3. The book of Judges chapter 3, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And it's a somber moment here. Uh, if you remember our study from last week in Judges chapter 2, it's we see what happens when the Lord is forgotten. Uh, and, you know, we see what happens in chapter two, but in continuation, we're in, we're in chapter three and we see how the extent of what the Lord does, but also understand, you know, if you remember our study in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And then we start to see and realize that the Lord, he's just doing what he says he would do. And, you know, you, you can reserve this. Well, you know, that's, that's just for the Old Testament. That's for Israel. That's not for us today. Really? I mean, when we read the book of Revelation and you see what the Lord does and how he moves and you read the accounts of events that will happen in the book of Revelation and then you correlate that to Deuteronomy 28, you also realize, oh, my goodness, the Lord God, God Almighty, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has his only begotten son, our Lord, our Savior, he's just doing exactly what he said he would do. Exactly. The question is, it's for you and me. Who will believe? And not just that. Remember, belief, faith, it's a package deal. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you you know and you've you've been with us in our study through Hebrews. Faith, belief, it's a package deal. Remember, you know, you and me, we go we 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 go to a burger joint and I say, "Hey, give me a number 1." You say, "Hey, give me a number 1." Are we ordering a singular thing? No. Because the number 1 includes fries and a soda. You see? Package deal. But the same thing applies to our faith. And what is that? Works. Works. Now, when we say works, it's not like, you know, oh, I have to have 10 converts today and, you know, I got to earn my way to heaven. No, because when Brother James writes about faith and works, he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to Genesis and he points to Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the account of Abraham and Isaac, what do you see? You see the Lord saying, hey, Abraham. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't say, hey, Abraham, but I'm paraphrasing. He says, hey, Abraham, do this. And what do you see Abraham? He, okay, Lord. And he does it. Hey, Abraham, do this. And okay, Lord, he does it. Belief and obedience. Obedience. And obedience is what we mean when we say works. It's not like I got to have 10 converts today. I got to have 100 converts per month. I got to have 1,000 converts per year. No, that's trying to earn our way to heaven. doesn't work that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does teach works. And works is obedience. Package deal. Belief and obedience. Now, when there's deviation from that, not good not good for everybody 
for believer and non-believer alike. When there's deviation from obedience, not good, not pretty. Do you remember our study in Deuteronomy 28? How the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience, you see? And when there is disobedience, you start to see the, the deviate through disobedience, you start to see the deviation from the Lord and the deviation from the will of the Lord and the deviation from the goodness of the Lord. And you see the end result, bondage. The end result, Egypt. You see? That's the end result, Egypt. But when you hit the rewind button from our study in, in Deuteronomy 28, you hit the rewind button, it's so much easier to just repent and turn around when you're at the city, when you're at the, in, the, in the little town. It's so much easier to say, you know what? I'm in a place where I shouldn't be. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent the error of my ways and I see the fruit of it. Lord, forgive me. I see the fruit of it, the rotten fruit. I feel the pain of it. I see the stupidity of it. Father, forgive me. In Jesus' name, forgive me, Lord. And then we come back. It's so much. The little love taps. The little tap tap. It's so much better to have the little the little love taps. The little tap tap. Hey, get back where you need to be. It's so much easier to do that than Egypt. You see? And praise be to the Lord because of his goodness. Because we look at passages like this, like in Judges 2, Judges 3, and it's like, wow, I can't see the goodness of the Lord. Really? How can that be? You know, I have these conversations with people all the time. And sometimes these conversations, they go into the realm of not just the non-believer, but also the Satanists and the Luciferians. And it's like, wow, how come, how come you say God is good? How come you say God is loving when you see all this mess in Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 3? You see, how could a God of love be doing this? Don't forget the patience of the Lord. Don't forget the long suffering of the Lord. How could this be a loving God? They say, how could this be a loving God? Because look at what he does and, you know, judges two and judges three and look at what he does. Well, wait a second. Hold the phone there, my friend. Look at what happens when God is forgotten. I mean, you see parents today, parents today, it's like, you know, oh, you know, I've never spanked my kids and I don't, you know, I ne never do the little, the little love taps and no belts and, you know, there's no grounding or anything like that because I want to be my, my kid's best friend. You see parents say that all the time and I'm not advocating, you know, like, you know, hey, you know, beat your kid to a bloody pulp, but you know, kids need the love taps. Kids need the love taps. You see parents, oh, I don't want to do the love taps. That's so mean. It's corporal punishment. Oh, you know, I don't want to do any grounding because I want to be my kid's best friend. Okay. Okay. Five years old. I want to be my kid's best friend. 10 years old. I want to be my kid's best friend. 15 years old. I want to be my kid's best friend. 20 years old. Look at the kid. Look at the kid. Never been disciplined his whole life. Never been disciplined her whole life. And then you see the mess of it. Proof is in the pudding. Just look at the fruit. Proof is in the pudding. Straight up. And it's so important because remember what the Bible teaches. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. 
The Bible says if we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate. Some translations say bastards. I don't want that to be said of any of us. I don't want that to be said of me or you or anybody. The question is, who is it that will align himself? Who is it that will align herself to the word of God? And understand, the word became flesh to dwell among us. That's what the Bible teaches. And so many times people tell me, well, you know, that's just the Old Testament. God is love. He never changes. It's, it's, you know, oh, that's so hateful. You know, that's that's the Old Testament. God is love now. What? The Bible said God never changes. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God never changes. Is it God, a, a God of hate in one chapter and then a God of love in another chapter and then a God of mercy in another chapter and then a God of justice in another chapter? No. No. Among mankind is where we see the bipolar among mankind is where where we see the uh, schizophrenia but with the lord he never changes he's loving he's gracious he's merciful he's forgiving he's compassionate he's our loving father in heaven hallowed be his name he has a son he made a way his name is jesus christ Remember, the Bible says God so loved the world not to condemn the world. God sent his son into the world not, not, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. The word might is a big deal. You know what that means? Balls in your court. You have a choice to make. And I've been having conversations with Satanists recently, very recently. Oh, I, I hate Christians so much. I said, well, why do you hate the Christians? Well, you know, I grew up in the church and this and that and this and that and this happened. It's like, well, hold on a second. That's not what the Bible teaches. What you were exposed to, I hate too. What you were exposed to, God hates too. What you were exposed to it was not the Lord. That was man. That was religion. That was a defunct pastor. He wants to call himself pastor. No, he's a fool. And that's what you were exposed to. And that's what you hate. But the question is, why are you going to blame God for that? Why are you going to blame God for that when his, his word says to avoid that? Remember the pastoral epistles? I mean, if you're walking, if, you, if you're listening for the first time, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know. But if you're listening for the first time, you know, you might be a non-believer listening for the first time. You might be Buddhist listening for the first time. You might be Catholic listening for the first time. Welcome. <laughs> but we have to be straight up. We are living in the last days. And we have these Old Testament examples of what happens when the Lord is forgotten in Judges 2. The Lord was forgotten. And the Lord makes himself known. But it's not pretty. It's painful. 
We read the events of the book of Revelation and so many times people are, well, you know, that, you know, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the book of Revelation, it's terrifying. The book of Revelation, it's terrifying. And yes, there are some terrifying aspects, but the question is, who is safe? Because safety is only found in Jesus Christ. Real safety is only found in Jesus Christ and it's safety for the soul. Very important to understand. And if you've been walking with us for a while, you know about the pastoral epistles. If you're listening for the first time and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm Catholic. I can't believe this guy is saying this. I'm Buddhist. I can't believe this guy is saying this. I'm charismatic. I can't believe this guy is saying this. I'm Calvinist. I, I can't believe this guy is saying this. Well, you know, we don't say these things just, you know, we don't like pull it out of our hat and say, well, you know, this is this and this is this and this is this. No, we open up the Bible and we see what the word of God says. And once the word of God is known, okay, balls in your court, balls in my court, balls in our court, we have a choice to make. Am I going to yield to the word of God or am I not? Are you going to yield to the word of God? Or are you not? Remember, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. Through Jesus, might be saved. I'll say it again. Through Jesus, son of the most high, through him, that the world through him, might be saved. Now, that evokes several questions. Might? Okay, ball's in your court. But this Jesus that the world can be saved through, he better be the right Jesus. Because when the disciples ask Jesus Christ, they say, you know, tell us, what, what are the sign of your comings? What, what is the sign of your coming? When will these things be? And Jesus, the same Jesus, the very Jesus, who the Bible says that the world through him, this Jesus, might be saved. He is the one that says there will be many Christs, many false teachers, many false prophets, and many Christs. The real Jesus, when his disciples asked him, What is the sign of your coming? And the real Jesus says there will be many Christs. You see? Oh, you're such a stickler when it comes to doctrine. Oh, God is love. God is love. And, you know, so what if the Episcopals do this, the Lutherans do this, and the Catholics do this because the Catholics are Christians and all these things? That's nice. What does the Bible say? Because Jesus and the word became flesh, he says there will be many Christs, many Christs. Paul, when inspired of the spirit, when he writes to the Christians, the churches, what does he say? He says, I'm terrified for you guys. I'm terrified for you guys because the preacher guys, 
The preacher guys, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they serve their father, the devil, and they're going to come in. He says they're going to come in with another spirit, another Jesus, and another gospel. And he says, I'm terrified for you guys. You know why? Because you're going to put up with it. You're going to put up with it. Corinth, they put up with it. Galatia, they put up with it. And here in Judges 2 and 3, the Lord became forgotten in these last days. Today, my friend, the Lord is forgotten. God is forgotten. And he will make himself known. You could say, well, according to Revelation, I agree. He will make himself known. Okay. But also, according to Deuteronomy. Also, according to Torah. When the Lord is doing just, he's just doing exactly what he said he would. Much, I mean, look in the case of a child. In the case of a child, you know, you know, baby girl, you know, you know, no more cookies, baby girl. Baby girl takes a cookie. Okay, love tap. Baby girl, little love tap. My little son, my little son. Okay, no more cookies, little son. Okay, he takes the cookies. Okay, little love tap. You disobeyed me, my beautiful son. You disobeyed me. Tap, tap. Go to your room. Tap, tap. Go sit in the corner. Outside of that, the child becomes more wayward 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 10 years old 15 years old 20 years old 25 years old in prison 23 years old in prison oh it's okay it's just minimum security it's not the maximum security what it's so much rather than get to that point it's so much easier to discipline the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The Bible says if we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate. And we look at the events of Revelation. As surely as the Lord lives, they will come to pass. But it's so much easier, right? You know, get right with God right now. It's so much easier. Get right with God right now. It's, it's so much easier. Listen, if you're listening and you're not a believer, if you're listening and you're playing games with the Lord, if you're listening and you know in your heart of hearts, you know you are lukewarm. Yeah, you love Jesus, but you know what? You really love the crack. Yeah, you love Jesus, but you know what? You really love the sex. The drugs, the sex, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. Yeah, you love Jesus, but wow, you like this. Listen, if you're playing games with the Lord, cut it out right here, right now. Let today be the day of salvation. No more games. Lukewarm, no more. Be white hot for the Lord Jesus Christ. Put the balls in your court. I can exhort, I can warn, I can teach. And I will do so till I'm blue in the face or they take my head off. I got a face a mother can love. Only a mother can love anyway. What am I going to do with it? You get right with the Lord right here, right now.
And if that's you, you hit pause and you commit, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right here, right now. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. We are living in the last days. And the Lord is forgotten today. But not so with the remnant. Not so with the remnant. And let's look at Judges 3 and see we we see what happens when the Lord is forgotten. Judges chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. Now, you remember we're, we're in the the land of inheritance, the promised land, but there, you know, pockets of resistance you could say. Other peoples with their other belief systems. And they remained in the promised land. And he says here in verse 1 that he might test Israel by them. Which translates in the Hebrew as to test or prove. And, you know, sometimes I have these chats with people. Well, how could a God of love do that? Why would would God test Israel like that? Why? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made something where you make something, you fashion it in a certain way, and which takes time, you know, you gotta, we got to be intricate here. And when you're at completion or maybe even nearing completion, you put it to the test. You put it to the test when I was a kid. Let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, we used to have boat races at the creek. We'd ride our bikes, you know. It was a little safer in those days. I mean, you'd leave home in the morning and come back at night. And if you came back too late, you know, you'd get a little beat down, you know. The good kind, little love taps. But, you know, when I was a kid, we'd have boat races at the creek. But the boats, they weren't like, you know, like real boats. We'd take sticks. We'd like take sticks off, rip, rip, like break sticks off of trees. And then we'd have our pocket knives. You know, different day, you know, kids had pocket. Everybody had a pocket knife back in those days. Today... The kids are different nowadays, but everybody had pocket knife back in those days. And so we'd have our pocket knives and, you know, we'd take these sticks and we'd make little boats out of it. And we would have boat races in the creek. And it's so, you know, everybody would like design their boats and, you know, some would be big, some would be little. And everybody would like, you know, just fashion their boats, have their little pocket knife. Fashion everything, design it in a certain way that... You know, what? whatever seems good, then we can race. Then we start the race. You know, everybody has their boats. Everybody's lined up, you know. Some kids got in the water. Some kids were, like, on the side. Some kids were, like, hanging over, like, you know, a, a log that was, you know, across the water. Some kids were there. And, you know, everybody has their hand on their boat, their, their fingers holding it in the water. And, you know, somebody counts one, two, three, and then boom, with a little cap gun or something. And then, boom, we let him go. And some boats got caught in the rocks, and some boats were really slow. But some boats were really fast. We had to test them. We had to test them. And I love it so much because when it comes to our testing, when it comes to your testing, you see, 
to apply the word of God in our lives, for you and me together to apply the word of God in our lives. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I mean, I care, but you know, you know, for sake of this argument, you know, I don't care. Sometimes I have these conversations with young people like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just 10 years old. What can I do? I'm just, you know, five years old. What can I do? I know some awfully young people who do beautiful, beautiful works unto the Lord. Awfully, awfully young people, the little workers. What can I do for the Lord? I'm just 10 years old. Or old people. What can I do for the Lord? I'm 80 years old. What can I do for the Lord? I'm 90 years old. I'm decrepit. I'm wrinkly. I can't move. What can I do for the Lord? Look at Moses. Look at Moses. Look at Joshua. Look at, remember Caleb? When Caleb, he's like, I'm not a young, I'm not young like I used to be, but you know what? I'm ready for war. Remember our study in the book of Joshua? I think it's very interesting how young people that, you know, what can I do for the Lord? I'm just 10 years old. Old people, what can I do for the Lord? I'm just 90 years old. You see how Satan tricks us? Attempts to trick us? But when you and me, we apply the word of God in our lives. Now, literally speaking, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. But spiritually speaking, I also, you could be a milk drinker. But, you know, milk drinking is temporary. You're not going to be a milk drinker forever, not the remnant. Not the remnant, the leaven, yeah. But you know what? I don't teach the dead. The Lord called me to teach the living. You might be a baby. In Christ, you might be like 50 years old and a baby in Christ. Or you might be like, you know, 10 years old and a baby in Christ. You might be five years old and a baby in Christ. You might be 10 years old and, you know, more mature than a 50-year-old in Christ. But spiritual age, you might be a milk drinker. But you know what? You know, I care, but milk doesn't, you're not, you're not going to be a milk drinker forever. Remember the rugby match from our study in Romans? And as you and me apply the word of God, God in our lives, and it sounds so like systematic, okay, I got to take this truth and apply it in my life. Well, there's a little bit of that too, but let's make it a little easier. How about you and me together? I don't care if you're a milk drinker or you're a meat eater, spiritually speaking. How about you and me? Let's make it easier. Let's yield to the word of God because, you know, apply the word to our lives. You know, yes, there's truth to that, but it sounds so systematic. It sounds so like, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. How about, how about you and me? We just simply yield to the word of God. And when that happens, it's like the, it's like the pocket knife with the sticks. You know, cut off a little bit of this, you know, shave off a little bit of this. And it's just you and me yielding to the word of God. And the word became flesh. It's you and me yielding to Jesus Christ. And in so doing, as you and me reckon the old man dead, as you and me reckon the old woman dead, you know, I say the old woman dead is if you're female, but you know, for me, you know, the old man dead. But I mean, if you're female, you for you know, the woman dead. If you're male, the, the the man dead. 
little disclaimer in these last days because the world is crazy town. You and me reckoning the old man dead. You and me reckoning the old woman dead. Being alive in Christ. And just like when I was a kid, you know, we'd take the little stick and shave off a little bit of this and shave off this and cut this and cut that. What are those things that the Lord, by His Spirit, are cutting off in our lives? The carnal nature. The ways of the flesh. You take your desires. I mean, for me personally, my desires 25 years ago and my desires today, you you can't it's it you can't make the comparison at all because there's no comparison. My desires 25 years ago compared to my desires today, you can't it's you can't it's, it's you, you can't make the comparison. I mean, it's just it's night and day. And praise be to the Lord. What he does in the lives of his people. Laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us. And then what happens just like when I was a kid. You take the little stick and you put it in the water. Put it to the test. And that's what the Lord does with you. That's what the Lord does with me. That's what the Lord does with us. A people of the way. That's what the Lord does with us. We don't have to look at it in a in a bad sense, you know. We look at verse one that He might test Israel, you know, and have these conversations. Well, why would a loving God do that? Why would He test Israel? Well, hold on a second. So many, so many times I have these conversations and people are so like, they, they, they're so confrontational with the Lord. There's deeper issues. They're so confrontational. One little verse, you know, now these are the nations with the Lord's left in verse one, that he might test Israel. Like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Why would a God of love do that? Whoa, 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 whoa. What did God ever do to you? Why are you so confrontational with the Lord? Why are you so, and then, you know, oh, you know, what about this verse? So like, whoa, whoa, what's, why, why are you, what's up with the animosity? The problem is they're in sin. I used to have animosity toward the Lord. I didn't know who he was, but I had animosity toward him. You know why? Because of my sin. That's why. I get where they're coming from. These mockers, I get where they're coming from. And if that's you, you're listening. And you ignored and didn't heed my prior call, my prior urging for you to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you might feel that, you know, that, uh, uh, that animosity towards the Lord. But it's not, you could call it that, it, you could say that it's toward the Lord. But you know what? Truth hurts. Truth hurts. Truth is painful. 
And it's the natural inclination. Well, you know, if, you know, XYZ hurts me, then I'm going to hate XYZ. If one, two, three hurts me, then I'm going to hate one, two, three, because I don't want to feel this hurt. I get it. You know, I have these conversations with the non-believers, the Satanists, the Luciferians all the time. I get it. I get the animosity. Let me tell you a better way. When it's the Lord, yes, truth hurts. But truth hurts for a reason. And that's the impact of truth. When you and me are confronted with truth, yes, truth hurts. But it also evokes a response. Truth hurts when there's no alignment with the Lord. Once there is alignment with the Lord, truth doesn't hurt anymore. There are moments where a little tap tap where it's going to hurt. Maybe not as bad. You're going to feel it. And I tell you these things from experience. Truth, the truth of God's holy word. 20 years ago, used to be so incredibly painful. Who can endure? I used to sit in the pews 25 years ago. I used to sit in pews almost, you know, it was like torture for me. I was playing games with the Lord. I used to sit in the pews. Like, who can endure the word? Who can sit here just for five minutes and endure the word of God? My heart was hard. You know, you hear us talk and mention, you know, the, the jello heart and the maple and oak and pine and stone. My heart was awfully close to stone, awfully close to stone. I tell you these things from experience. And you might be a non-believer of whatever variety, a non-believer in Buddhist, a non-believer in Catholic, a non-believer in Satanist, a non-believer in Luciferian. And you hate God. Multiple reasons why. Multiple, multiple reasons why. But we have to clear the air here. We have to make sure that we're talking about the God of the Bible. Because I had these conversations with non-believers. Oh, I hate God. I hate God. I was like, well, why? And then they tell me their experience in the church. I was molested. I was molested. And everybody said I have to submit to the pastor. Everybody said I had to submit to the pastor. And you know that God preordains all these things. God ordained all these things to happen by his will and that God is sovereign and by his will, he ordains this to happen. And, you know, here I am a victim of molestation by the youth pastor. And, you know, it's 20 years later and I know I'm a mess. I'm psychologically a mess and all these things. And everybody said God is love and God is sovereign and all these things and it's preordained to happen and God ordained because of his perfect will. I hate God. Hold the phone. Hold on. That's false doctrine. That's the false doctrine of Calvinism. The God of John Calvin is an idol. 
And you know what? Speaking to a non-believer. To tell that person, I hate that God too. Because that's an idol. And the Bible says, you will have no other gods before me. And rather than blame the God of the Bible on that, what you were exposed to, and sometimes it's kind of awkward because, you know, sometimes that I have these conversations and people are like depressed and everything. And all, you're like, I get like super depressed. Sometimes they start to console me, you know, because I get, I get so sad. Because a person hates God based on what a stupid guy said. A person hates God based on what a stupid lady says. They have no business teaching. They have no business saying anything about the Lord. And yet they teach about the Lord and then people hear it and they formulate these conclusions. People teach about the Lord. They attempt to. And then people hear it and they like, okay, you know, they make their decisions and they're like, you know what? I don't like God. Because if I'm molested and you tell me that God ordained that because he's loving, nope, I don't want that. I've had these conversations with people. And sometimes they're Satanists. Because they want to distance themselves so much to the God that they were exposed to, thinking it's the God of the Bible, thinking it's the Jesus of the Bible, when, surprise, it isn't. It's one of the Christ that Jesus warns about. And that might be you. A non-believer right here, right now, a non-believer. But when your your head hits the pillow tonight, when you're in bed, you go to sleep, you might be my new brother in Christ. You might be my new sister in Christ. Because, you know, I have these conversations. Oh, I hate God. I hate God. It's like, okay. Let's make sure that who you hate is the God of the Bible. Because if it's revealed through conversation, through our chats, and through the word, if it's revealed that who you hate is an idol, don't blame God for that. Blame the foolish vessel by which it came. Blame the foolish pastor, so-called pastor, but biblically disqualified. He has no business at the pulpit. You say, wait a second, she's female. Okay, no business at the pulpit. You see? The Lord. He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that, precisely that. And then you come back, you listen, and we grow, we journey, we mature, we become deadly, the good deadly, together. And along the way, The Lord is going to test you. He's going to test you just like I did with the little boats. 
The Lord is going to test you. I love it because, you know, God has this expectation for you and me to grow, to flap our wings in life and walk with him. God has this expectation for us to grow and to mature. And this is a lost concept today when parents coddle their kids. I'm all for coddling kids when they're one years old. I'm all for coddling kids maybe when they're like one and a half. Maybe two. But coddling a 20-year-old? It's disgusting. You see parents coddling their 20-year-old. Disgusting. To me, but that's just me. It's unnecessary. It's unloving. And parents hurt their adult kids when they coddle them. And the Lord is not honored. You're listening and you're a parent and you call your kids and your kids are like, you know, 25, 30 years old, 40 years old. And you call your kids. You hear me say, oh, that's disgusting. And you're like, I can't believe this guy said this. Who is this guy? By what authority does he say these things? Do you remember our study in Timothy? Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, a guy who doesn't care for his own family, and Paul says he is worse than a non-believer. Today you see adult men who refuse to take care of their family. Why? Because they rely on good old mommy and daddy. They got the big muscles. They got the deep voice. Looks like an adult male. But in reality, he's just a little tiny baby. They look like men, but they're little tiny boys. And Paul says to Timothy, when you see that, remember, it's inside the church. Paul says to Timothy, when you see that, that guy is worse than an unbeliever. And understand, when parents coddle their adult children, What parent wants to aid their child in foolishness? What parent wants to aid and assist and abet, aid and abet in foolishness that Paul says is worse than an unbeliever? Oh, I don't got to go to work. I don't have to support my family because look, mommy and daddy. foolishness but with the lord he has an expectation for us to grow to mature to flap our wings to mature to flap our wings and not leave him but to flap our wings and not just walk with him but to come off of the sureness of the very earth that we stand on Because remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. The better sureness of life with him. And to this end, he puts people to the test. It's so simple. He puts people to the test. And I love it. And so many times, well, why, well, you know, verse one, you know, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel. How could a God of love test Israel? Look at 
He's a God of love. And he puts people to the test. He puts nations to the test. Some are found wanting. But it also exposes a remnant. Nothing new under the sun. Notice what happens here. It's still in verse 1. That he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known the way, any, not known any of the wars in Canaan. Any of the wars. Now, you might think it's a good thing for the next generation to not know war. And in one regard, it is. Prophetically speaking, mankind will not learn war anymore. And that is absolutely good. It is a future event, but it is not now. And I'm not advocating violence in any way. Remember, the rules of engagement under the old covenant are not the rules of engagement of the new covenant. The old covenant is according to the flesh, new covenant according to the spirit. But yet the warfare is still there. And we wage war according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. So when you hear me speak about warfare like this, it's not carnal in nature, but it is supernatural. It is spiritual. In not knowing war, be certain to remember sacrifice and the Lord. Also, the sacrifice of the Lord. This is where parents make big, big, big mistakes. And problems become perpetual for them and their kids. Also, for them through their kids. I'll give you an example. You take a guy who's a former crackhead, a guy who's a former, you know, drug addict, crack, you know, meth, the whole nine yards. And he's rescued by the Lord and praise be to the Lord. He doesn't do crack anymore. No more, no, no longer on drugs. And it's beautiful. It's a good thing. But with his kids, he doesn't teach them about the dangers of drugs and the grip that they can have on a person's life and the reason why is because, you know what, I don't want my kids to grow up in that life. I don't want my kids to know that life, so I'm just going to remove that from their life entirely. And it seems good. But I'll tell you a better way. Teach your kid about the goodness of God. Teach your children about the goodness of the Lord. And how to fight the good fight. And avoid Anything that is contrary to the Lord, that's much better. Of course, age appropriate. I mean, you know, you don't go to, you know, baby girl's three years old. You know, hey, baby girl, this is how I used to cook spoons. No, don't do that. Now, we used to be able to reserve certain things for teenage years, but we can't do that anymore. We cannot do that anymore. Drugs have entered not just high school, junior high. Drugs have entered elementary school. Sexual things, sexual topics. They're not just in high school. They're not just in junior high. They're in elementary school. In some cases, kindergartners. The sexualization of children by their own teachers. Teachers who want to teach about sexual things to little children. It's happening. You know, I mean, you don't need me to, to say this. We see it in the world. It's happening. By the time middle school comes, you already have sexually charged kids and drug charged kids. 
I, I don't mean like charged, like criminally charged. I mean charged like, you know, the, the stimulated. And the war continues in the life of the kids. But meanwhile, you have parents, you know, former crackhead dad who doesn't want you. He shelters his child so much. I don't want my kid to know drugs. I don't want my kids to know drugs. So I'm going to not do any. I'm not going to mention anything about drugs to my kid. And they think they're doing a good thing, which it seems good. It's a, it's, it's a good thing to not want anything drug related to the kid. That's it, a good thing. It's beautiful. But without teaching the child how to fight, without teaching the child how to engage in warfare, to make decisions that honor the Lord, that kid is going to get swept away because the kid doesn't know how to fight. The kid doesn't know how to make decisions that honor the Lord. Dad is making a decision thinking he's honoring the Lord. And in one regard, there is honor for the Lord, but without telling the next generation, without teaching the next generation, where is the honor of the Lord? And parents, by not training your children, you can do a lot of harm. Of course, age appropriate. But it's very important because we're living in the last days. And you know what? Era of time, I mean, in one regard, it's no matter. But even more so in these last days. But in era of time, we could be in like 1850 and would still be saying, you know, parents, teach your kids. By not training, you can do a lot of harm, parents. Kids, for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, stay away from drugs. You hear people say that all the time. Oh, stay away from drugs. The adults. So, you know, I'm doing the air quotes. The adults. Stay away from drugs. Stay away from... But I'm telling you, stay away from drugs. That's a dragon. That's a dragon. Very, very few can slay. Stay away from drugs. Not even one little puff here, one little puff there, one little toke here, one little toke there, one little this, that. No. Stay away. That dragon, once it has its grip on you, very few can fight. Stay away. We see what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten in Judges 2, and we see what happens in Judges 3. I mean, we've already seen in Judges 2, but we're going to see even more in Judges 3. And so we look at verse 2. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. You see? You say, wait a second. I thought God wants us to not know war because prophetically speaking, you know, there is a generation that, will, you know, weapons will be turned into like, you know, tools for gardening. And there is a time when war will no longer be necessary. War will no longer be taught, but it is not yet. We look at the Old Testament according to the flesh. We look at the New Testament, the New Covenant, according to the Spirit. In these last days, you're going to see a lot of losers. A lot of losers. And of course, you know, there's the losers, you know, people who are losers. But then at the same time, loser, when I say losers, it's like, you know, casualties. Casualties. 
casualties of war. How? It's the falling away, a prophetic event. The falling away and it's already happening. Lamps are already running out of oil. No power. But the Lord has this expectation for us to grow, mature, become deadly, the good deadly, fighting according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And we see in verse 2 that the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. You see, God has this expectation. Hey, you got to fight. But it's not just fighting like, hey, you know, let's lift weights, let's train, let's get strong, you know, get some muscles. No. I love it so much because, you know, last week when we studied in Judges 2, when Israel had its need to win in battle, who did the Lord send? Did the Lord send a bunch of, you know, 300-pound warriors? And not the flabby guys, but 300-pound, you know, full of muscles and all this. And, like, the warrior got you know, a whole bunch of swords and armament and weaponry. Did he send them? No. He sent the judges. He raised up the judges. You see? Who does he send? Look at beautiful little Samuel. Look at beautiful little Samuel raised up for such a time as this in his time. Look at beautiful Timothy raised up for such a time as this in his time. Look at beautiful Chloe raised up for such a time as this in her time. What about you? Balls in your court. What about you? And so we see in verse 3, namely five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. Now, remember verse 1. These are the nations which the Lord left with, that, that he might test Israel by them. In verse 3, we see who are the peoples. And we see these are the peoples. And we see in verse 4, and they were left. That he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord. You see? to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. Now, you see, Moses warned them. Moses warned them. Israel, they were on the receiving end of the warnings of Moses, not just Moses, of also of Joshua. And Moses warned them, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You are God's people. You're going to enter this land, see that you don't partake of their stuff. You are consecrated unto the Lord. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 7? In Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, you are a holy people unto the Lord. Moses told them in his farewell discourse, so to speak, old man Moses 
for my older brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, look, I'm 80 years old. What can I do for the Lord? Look, I'm 95 years old. Look, I'm triple digits. I'm 104 years old. What can I do for the Lord? Look at Moses. Exhortation to the younger generation. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you are a holy people unto the Lord. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, keep yourselves. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Teach your children and grandchildren. You see? Now here we are in Judges. In Judges 3 today, last week in Judges 2, we see how God has forgotten. And here in Judges 3, now we see this state of God being forgotten. And what happens? What happens? And we see in verse 5, thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives. You see, when God is forgotten, how in the world can his ways be acknowledged? His ways according to his word. Not his ways what people think his ways are. Well, God is a God of love, so he would allow this. God is a God of love, so I think he would allow this. Whenever, let me tell you a little trick. This is what I do, a little secret. Whenever somebody says, I think God, when I'm talking to somebody and they say, well, I think God, and then they go on their spiel. The very second, the very millisecond I hear them say, I think God, immediately in my head, I do a little accounting of their lives and the fruit of their lives and their decisions. And when I see God God is honored, then I'll lend ear to what they say. I think God, and then, okay, let me hear what you got to say. But when somebody says, I think God, and immediately in my, my little millisecond calculation, I analyze their lives, got the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. It's an older guy. He's got kids. Their kids are doing their sex and their drugs, their rock and roll, their alcohol, their Buddha, their Ouija boards, worshiping Mary, worshiping the Krishnas, their chakras, their crystals. They're doing all kinds of mess. And they're, you know, on wife number three, kids are on, you know, husband number two, wife number three not even married, living in sin, all kinds of mess. And the guy says, I think God, and then like in my two milliseconds, okay, in one ear, out the other, I'm not going to receive what you say. I don't care what a guy has to say. I don't care what a lady has to say, what they think, God, when their lives reflect mess. When their lives reflect the things that are not of God, but the things that are of Satan. They can say they... You know, I think God, okay, that's nice. You can think it. It's not good that you think it, but you can think it. You're wrong, but. When God has forgotten, how can his ways be acknowledged? You know, and this is also a danger, a big danger of false doctrine. 
Because it's one thing when God is forgotten, but what about when a person thinks God is known and God is acknowledged, but the God that they believe is not the God of the Bible? Such as, you know, the, the charismatics, hyper-charismatics, we could say. The kind you see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, they, 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 you know, take off their jacket and they wave their jacket and 10 rows fall over. No, that's a mockery. But about, what about the Calvinists? Reformed theology. You see? What about Hebrew roots? What about replacement theology? What about the grave soakers? Kingdom now. New apostolic reformation. Grave soaking? Grave soaking? For a pastor to say to anybody, hey, you know, we're going to go lay on this grave site. And the reason why is so that we can soak up the Holy Spirit that is in these dead people. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of the Lord is not with the dead. The Spirit of the Lord is with the living. Another spirit, that's with the dead. You see? And people think, oh, look, we're with the Lord, we're with the Lord. Nope, that's not the Lord of the Bible. You say, how can you, how can you say that Calvinists are not with the Lord? You know why? Because the Calvinists are teaching, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's what they're teaching. Everything's resourced. You can listen, you can hear it for yourself. Everything is there. We're living in the last days. We are living in the last days. News coming out of Israel with these red heifers, qualified red heifers. And there's like a, a fast track of this major initiative of, you know what? We have to sacrifice these heifers. Because they're qualified, because they had qualified red heifers before and they waited too long and they became disqualified. So you have very prominent rabbis. They're saying, we got to fast track this. We got to do this now. And chatter is already happening of not only are we going to sacrifice these red heifers, but within a year, within a year to start construction for the third temple. You hear me say, you know, like, oh, you know, we're in the last days. This guy says we're in the last days. This guy says we're in the last days. But Christians, you Christians, you've been saying that forever. You've been saying that forever. I haven't. I mean, I, haven't, I didn't say it in 1950. I didn't say it in 1810. I say it today for a reason. Because we're living in the time of convergence. It's not one thing happening. It's not two things happening. It's not three things happening. It's not five things happening. It's multiple, 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 multiple. All these things. We're living in a time of convergence. We're living in the last days. And the whole purpose, when the Lord calls people, the whole purpose of that calling is for people to be right with the Lord. I mean, the, the, the Lord didn't call Jeremiah so that, you know, so he can be friendly with everybody. No, he had no friends. 
the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet. Jeremiah, how dare you say this? Look, we're the elect, Jeremiah. We're the elect, Jeremiah. How dare you say this? Look, God speaks with us. God speaks to us through these prophets. We have the prophets, and so we don't need you, Jeremiah. You know what the Lord says to Jeremiah? They don't speak for me. They don't speak for me. Jeremiah knew the formula, and he followed the formula. He adhered to the formula, and yes, he was alone. But you know what? He wasn't in Babylon. Then you read Lamentations. What? Lamentations? It's so sad. It kills me. It breaks my heart. Because it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. But balls in their court. People made their choice. When God is forgotten, how in the world can his ways be acknowledged? There is a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but its end is the way of destruction. And God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You see? not according to what a person might think is right well i think god would allow this i think god would permit this that's nice what does the god of the bible say somebody says well i think god i do my little two second my little millisecond analyzing okay you do your crack your sex your alcohol you know you're on your fifth marriage and you got this on the side you got a little bit of this you do the buddhas the crystals okay you can say what you want, but I'm not going to receive it in one ear, out the other. Why? Because you're poisonous. You can say whatever you want, what you think about the Lord. In one ear, out the other. But then another person speaks and you see the fruit of the Spirit. I will receive. Because that's a brother, that's a sister in Christ who bows before the throne, the throne of Jesus and worships the Lord and honors the Lord. I'll receive what that person says, male, female. If it's a pastor, when the formula is right, I will submit to the pastor. Formula's got to be right. I will gladly submit to the pastor when the formula is right. Why? Because the Bible commands him to watch out for my soul. And when the formula is right, he is watching out for my soul. It is safe for me to submit to him. You see, watching out for my soul, not like, you know, watching out for, you know, uh, a, a good job, watching out for, you know, I got a, 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 a nice car, watching, watching out for, you know, for, you know, that. no, he's watching out for my soul. Because he wants me, this other person, this other entity, when the formula is right, once in my ears. This other entity wants my ears to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, when the formula is right, submission to such a person is right, is good, is holy. But when the formula is wrong, it is very, very, 
very dangerous. You must not submit. Because people, oh, the Bible says I have to submit to my pastor, so I'm going to submit to this guy who teaches, he wants me to go grave soaking. You see, no. No, you cannot. Oh, I'm going to submit to this guy that teaches replacement theology. No, you cannot. I'm going to submit to this guy that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And what's going to happen? When the mark of the beast system is implemented, you're going to have all these people in submission to their pastor because the Bible says submit to your pastor. And all these people say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take the mark of the beast, I'll still be saved. No big deal. Hello, lake of fire. You see? Oh, you, you're so serious about this. You're so serious. Yeah. You know what blows me away sometimes? Sometimes I have these conversations about spiritual matters. The depth of it, it depends on the person. Or the people, it depends. I mean, if, 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 if I'm speaking to babies, we're not going to go deep. If I'm speaking to adolescents, we're going to go a little bit deeper, but not too deep. If I'm speaking to mature, we're going to go deep. If I'm speaking to deadly, we're going to go super deep. But it blows me away when I speak to the spiritual babies or the spiritual adolescents. And it's like, okay, yeah. I get what you're saying, and I think I get this. Yeah, that's nice. But then, you know, they want to they want to go deep about sports. They want to go deep about stocks. They want to go deep about these matters that are carnal, the ways of the world. Who wants to go deep about biblical matters? The remnant. The remnant. When God is forgotten, so are his ways. Knowing the, that there is effectuation for promises, the promises of God. Remember our study in Joshua. Joshua 1 was very difficult for me because I want every single one of us to lean on the promises of God. When God says to Abraham or, or to, to Joshua, you know, I, 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 I am with, you know, be strong and courageous. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. I love that. And I want every single one of us to have that and to know it and be confident. But then we hit the rewind button and look at the life of Joshua. And we go back to the mountain with Moses. And when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? Joshua and Moses. What about when all Israel wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb? They wanted to kill them. They wanted to stone them. Where was the Lord? With Joshua and Caleb. Remnant, you see? They made their choice. And knowing these promises of the Lord and that there is effectuation for his promises, understand that there is effectuation for his promises, but also for his blessings. And here we see deviation from that. Remember, chapter 2, we see how the Lord became forgotten in Judges 2. And now we see the result of that in Judges 3. Look at, in verse 5, in Judges 3, verse 5, they're with the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. In verse 6, they took their daughters to be their wives. And they gave their daughters to their sons. And you think, okay, no big deal. You know, 
happy marriage. But hold on, what happens? And in verse 6, they served their gods. Whoa. With this intermingling, idolatry is only a matter of time. You say, well, it's different today. That's Old Testament. That's the Old, Old Testament Bible. It's different today. Really? Really? Because the Bible tells us about a believer marrying an unbeliever. And the Bible says, don't do it. I've had men tell me, oh, you know, I got a girlfriend. I got a girlfriend. Okay, you know, she a Christian. No, no, she's Catholic. What are you doing? And then they bust out their phone. Oh, but look at her. Like I'm going to be a fool. Oh, okay. So you know, go ahead and go ahead and date her because she looks like this. Go ahead and date her because she looks like this. That's the ways of the fool. That's the ways of the stupid people. That's the ways of the idiotes. You see? Do not marry an unbeliever. Don't do it. Now, it's one thing, you know, if a person becomes a believer while married, the Bible says, don't get divorced. I'll give you an example. A nice Christian guy, and we see it all the time. I've seen it personally. A nice Christian guy on fire for the Lord grows up in the church, meets a girl. They start to date. She's Catholic. They still date. She's still Catholic. They get married. They have kids. And the baby gets baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. The guy, dear old dad, he no longer goes to church. He goes to Mass. He no longer prays to God. He prays to Mary. He prays to saints. He prays to angels. A biblically forbidden practice. The man has left the Lord. And the Lord has become forgotten. You see, knowing the effectuation of promises, knowing the effectuation of promises and for promises, what happens? The blessings of God start to dissipate. They start to dissipate. There's no repentance. They dissipate even more. No repentance. And now we get into judgment. The judgment of God. No repentance. And then we get into the wrath of God. The wrath of God. A future event. Is coming. But the wrath of God. Can already be seen. When you read Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed on individuals. On individuals. A lot of times Christians, they get stupid here. Because they say, oh, the wrath of God is on the homosexuals. The wrath of God is on the lesbians. And then they end it right there. Oh, you see the wrath of God, you know. The, the, the lesbians and the homosexuals, oh, look, the wrath of God. Hold the phone there, Christian. 
It doesn't end there. Don't forget heterosexual sin. And even when it comes to the subject of sexual sin, there's more. When you read Romans 1, read. Listen to our study through Romans 1. Everything is archived. Everything is archived. A resource, a tool for you in these last days. It's not going to be there forever. But as of today, it's there. Thewayunderground.com. It's there. It's for you. It's for the remnant. Listen to these studies. Go and listen to Romans 1. You see? The wrath of God is coming to this world. But the wrath of God is already seen in individuals. And this is, you know, Christians get crazy here. Because they reserve it only for sexual sin, but a certain type of sexual sin. They don't like to speak of their own sexual sin, heterosexual sin. Let me say something to the homosexual. Let me say something to the lesbian. Repent. Repent. Receive mercy. Receive grace. Receive salvation. I've had these conversations with homosexuals and lesbians. One particular homosexual. I've done so much evil. How could God forgive me? God's love. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. It's there. It's a gift. The question is, who's going to receive it? I've done so much sin. I've done so much sin. You think God can't forgive? You think God won't forgive? Because nothing's impossible to God. Except lying. It is impossible for God to lie. And that even adds more to his goodness. And God says, repent. The Bible says he will relent from judgment. And I say that to the homosexual. I say that to the lesbian. I say that to the transgender. A lot of kids today, teenagers, confuse sexual confusion. They go to their teachers. Their teachers teach them stupidness. They go to their parents, their parents teach them stupidness. They go to their friends, their friends teach them stupidness. Go to the word of God and find truth. Living water, water for your soul. You see, God loves you. Repent. Because with repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden what happens is the effectuation of those promises, the, the spigot of blessings, if you will, it just pours forth. There's the effectuation. Balls in your court. I don't care. You know you do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, the Buddha, the Krishnas, the Mary, the saints. You know, the, the saints according to Roman Catholics. You know, not the, you know, there are biblical saints, but the saints according to Roman Catholicism is an abomination. 
worship of angels, the chakras, the Krishnas. You say, my sin is so great. My sin is so great. How could God forgive me? What is impossible for God? When God says, a person who repents, I will relent from judgment. Why would he say that when the Bible says it's impossible for him to lie? I mean, nothing is impossible for God, but the Bible says it's impossible for him to lie. That only accentuates the promises of God. That only makes the promise of God blossom even more. You see? Put the balls in your court. And we see how the blessings of God, they start to dissipate when God is forgotten. You see? And it builds up and leads to the wrath of God. And sometimes, and I say this, it breaks my heart. It's so sad. But you have non-believers who say, I hate Christianity. I hate Christianity. And through conversation, you find out the reason. It's like, well, hold on a second. That's not biblical Christianity. Understand, God hates that too. Because that's idolatry. And I have these conversations with the non-believers. We chat. We talk. And, you know, I hate God, I hate God, I hate God, I hate Christians, I hate Christians, I hate church, I hate church, I hate church. And then we have a conversation, they tell me more about it. It's like, listen, God hates that too. What you're exposed to, God hates that too. I mean, if a person is going to hate God, I mean, I don't like that. I I don't like, I don't want anybody to hate God. But if a person is going to hate God, let's make sure we're talking about the God of the Bible. And if you're atheist, you're Satanist, Luciferian, if you're going to hate God and you're listening and you're like, I still, I can't believe this guy. And you're listening and you haven't heeded my prior calls to repent. All I have to say is this. Let's make sure that your hatred directed toward God is the biblical God. Because if your hatred towards God is based on Mormonism, If your hatred toward God is based on Jehovah's Witness, if it's based on Catholicism, if it's based on Calvinism, if it's based on, you know, replacement theology, if it's based on the grave soakers, new apostolic reformation, understand God hates that too. You do not hate the God of the Bible. But if you're going to claim to hate God, let's make sure you're talking about the God of the Bible. And as we make sure that we're talking about the God of the Bible, you're going to realize something. And I tell you from experience, you're going to realize his goodness. And you're going to see that he loves you. You see? And God sent his son into the world while we were sinners. You see, and I have hope that one day you're a Satanist, you're, you're Luciferian, you're a non-believer. My hope is that you will be my brother. You will be my sister one day. These studies, these everything, it's, 
resource. It's housed. It's archived for you as well. So that you can listen. I know a lady who cleans her house. And she likes the long messages. She likes, you know, the four-hour messages, the three-hour. And she likes them. Because she puts in her little ear things and, you know, it's play. And she cleans her house. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. These archives are for you. Look at with in the case here in Judges 3, God is forgotten. Now look what they start to do in verse 6. They get married. There's the intermingling. And then look what happens. They start to serve their gods. The gods of Canaan, the gods of the Hittites, the gods of the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Just like the example we gave where brand new fresh baby baptized into Roman Catholicism baptized into something completely and totally and utterly unbiblical. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, you know, oh, that's Old Testament. Look, this is Old Testament. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Different rules of engagement according to covenants, but even still, nothing new under the sun. You see? And so we see here in verse 7, You know, as a result, you know, they served other gods in verse 6 and verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, they did evil, but God is still there. They did it in his sight. When you read passages, Old Testament, New Testament, where God is long-suffering. Long-suffering, you know what that means? He's suffering for a long time. Remember, for him, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. I mean, we're reading like, you know, verse seven. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was like yesterday for the Lord. Well, maybe not yesterday, a couple days ago. For for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. It's like a couple days ago. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, when somebody breaks your heart, when somebody hurts you and somebody breaks your heart and it was 20 years ago, it's like, okay, yeah, it stinks. But, you know, I got over it. But you hit the rewind button to the point where, you know, somebody broke your heart and it was yesterday. It hurts. It's painful because it's pal- that pain is so palpable. But for the Lord, we look at verse 7, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that was just like a couple days ago. Think about the long suffering of the Lord. And here we're, we're reading about it. For him, he saw it with his eyes. A people one day bowing before him, worshiping him, praising him, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Time passes, worshiping Baal, worshiping the Asherahs. Think about that long suffering. You see? What about in the church? What about for Christians? One day, you know, praising the Lord, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, speaking Christianese on fire for the Lord and everything's beautiful. But in the course of time, strung out on crack, meth, the goofballs, you see, on Mali, 
doing the Buddha, doing the Krishna, doing the Ouija boards, going to the casino. No longer worshiping the Lord. You used to go to church? Oh, no. That was when I was stupid. Now I get baked. Now I go to the strippers. Now I go to the casino. And the Lord, see, think about what he sees. And not just what he sees, like according to the flesh, but when he sees the heart, when he sees the mind, he sees the motives. Think about his long suffering. I mean, think about the compounding of long suffering when this evil that he saw the children of Israel in verse 7, that was just like a couple days ago for him. You see? In verse 7, they forgot the Lord their God and they and served the Baals and Asherahs. Whoa. Therefore, remember, the Lord, he's reactionary. He responds accordingly. He responds to wickedness. He responds to righteousness. He responds to repentance. He responds accordingly. The Lord is reactionary. Therefore, you know, the children of the, uh, the children of Israel, in verse 7, they forgot the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, in verse 8, you no, know, the ball was in their court in verse 7. Okay, now the ball's in the Lord's court in verse 8. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them or surrendered them into the hand of Kushan Rishataim. That translates as double wickedness. King of Mesopotamia and the children of Israel served Kushan Rishataim eight years. You see, much better. Much better is it to serve the God of Israel. Israel is learning the hard way. For me, I have served other gods before. I have served other gods before. And I tell you from experience, and I tell you the truth, much better it is to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Much better it is to serve him. Much better it is to serve the son at his right hand who ascended to heaven. Higher than the angels. Much better it is to serve Jesus. Son of promise, son of fulfillment, son of the most high. Notice what happens here in verse 9. When the children, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, I want to say something to the lost soul. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Especially to the lost soul who once knew the Lord. Come home to Jesus. You've tasted the bitter waters. And you miss the living water. Listen, I love you. But cut it out. Come home. You repent. 
and you recommit your life to Christ. I've tasted those bitter waters. And I've tasted living water. And I tell you the truth. The living water, that's, that's everything. You see? You're not, a, you're not a former believer and, you know, you're strung out. You've tasted the bitter waters of this world, the bitter waters of your own decisions, the bitter waters of carnal choices, the bitter waters offered by this world and demons. Drink of living water and have refreshing for your soul. I've had these conversations and that's refreshing for my soul. It sounds so good. How can this be? How can this be? Yes. And I tell you from experience, having tasted both the bitterness of the world, the fruit of my own doing, according to the flesh, according to Adam and the living water and that of Christ and the living water <laughs> much better. And that doesn't, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not big on vocabulary, but, you know, I say much better. But if I could say, like, much better times infinity, that's what, the, if there's a word for that, that's what it would be. Much better, much better times a bajillion times infinity. That's what the word would be. I don't know what their word is, but if there was a word, that's what I would say. I just don't know the word because I'm a man of little vocabulary. Cry out to the Lord. Look at what happens here in verse 9. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Remember, God is reactionary. Remember, God is reactionary. And he responds. And in verse 9, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. You know who it is? Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. You see? This is so beautiful. Remember, you know, it, 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 when we had our study in um, chapter one, remember, you know, Othniel Hill tra translates as force of God. But remember Othniel in chapter one, where Caleb's remember Caleb, he's an old man. He's, you know, the, 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 the last survivor of the first generation. Remember, uh, the, the only ones who had passage into the promised land was uh, Joshua and Caleb. And now Joshua has already passed away. But Caleb, he's like really old. And then he says in chapter one, remember, whoever takes this city, I will give my daughter Aksa as a wife. Othniel did it. Othniel did it. And he has Aksa as a wife, a woman raised by Caleb. Now understand now Aksa, she's, she's not like the average bear. This is a woman who's, who was raised by Caleb, you know, the, one of two who were the only ones of the first generation who has passage in the promised land. So she, she, she wasn't raised by run-of-the-mill dad. Very special guy. Very special guy. A type of Holy Spirit. And when you look at Joshua and Caleb, G Joshua is a type of Christ. Caleb is a type of spirit. You know, force. I mean, if you remember our studies in Deuteronomy and then also um, Joshua. He's the only survivor of the generation of Israel. The last survivor. And he raised Aksa. And this Othniel has Aksa as a wife. I wonder how the Lord saw Othniel. I mean, 
Back in verse 9, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord responds. I mean, when you cry out to the Lord, when you cry out to the Lord in your hour of need, in your moment of desperation, do you think the Lord's not going to respond? I mean, the Bible does say, you know, if if I regard iniquity in my heart, then the Bible says God will not hear. Okay. Oh, God is so mean. He's not going to hear our prayers. No, don't regard iniquity in your heart. You see, husbands, husbands, you want to deal treacherously with the wife of your youth? You know what the Bible says? You can cry all you want. God won't hear. You see? Honor your wife. Love your wife. Like Christ loves the church, as the Bible teaches. You see? There are effectuators. You cry out to the Lord, you think the Lord's going to be silent? In the case of Israel, they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord hears. But meanwhile, meanwhile, there's a particular individual by the name of Othniel. Meanwhile, there's a particular individual by the name of Aksa. Meanwhile, the two are joined together in marriage. And meanwhile, the children of Israel cry out to the Lord. And in verse 9, when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up the deliverer. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of deliverer. Who delivered them? Who was it? Othniel. That's my guy. That's my guy. I wonder how the Lord saw Aksa. That's my girl. You see, now the two are together. Israel is in trouble. And who is raised up as deliverer? It's Othniel. Translates as force of God. I love it so much. You know what's so beautiful? Othniel, he didn't go to deliverer school. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to theology school. He didn't take it upon himself. Oh, you know, step aside, guys. I'll take care of this. I'll rescue you. No. The Lord raised him up for such a time as this. That's how God works. That's how God works. The Lord raised up Othniel for such a time as this. The Lord raised up Aksa for such a time as this. I mean, picture, picture the help that she was to Othniel. Not in front of him, not behind him, not above him, not below him, right beside him. That's how God works. I wonder where the Othniels of our day are. I wonder where the Aksas of our day are. I wonder where the Pauls of our day are. I wonder where the Chloe's of our day are. I wonder. We see here in verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, the Holy Spirit upon people in the Old Testament is very rare. Very rare. New Testament, very common. 
Old Testament, very rare. New Testament, very common. But today, today I cannot say common. I wish I could, but today I cannot say common. In verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war. To war. I love it. I love it. Othniel, he's a fighter. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Kushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. You see, leadership matters. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. You know, it's so sad. It's so sad in one regard, but at the same time, you think Israel would have learned a valuable lesson here. Now, the lesson was absolutely valuable. Absolutely. But was it valued? Let me say that again. The lesson was absolutely valuable. But was it valued? The same can be said in a church setting. You see, when the formula is right, the lessons are valuable. But whether valued, every person has a choice to make. It pains me to say this. Most pastors today, you cannot heed them. Most pastors today, you must not heed them. I don't want to rehash the things that we've already studied. But go back and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles. The archives. They're there for you. It's for the remnant. It's for the remnant. And look what happens here in verse 12. Othniel, now... He's next, it, like he's, he's dead. And so now look what happens in verse 12. We say, we say dead here, but remember, sleep, sleep. Very important to remember that. It's like dead. It's not like, okay, you know, understand it's sleep. Remember, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, Samuel, when, uh, uh, when Saul went to the witch of Endor and, you know, Samuel, he's, you know, who has disturbed my slumber? He was asleep, asleep. So in verse 12, and don't forget the transfiguration too, you know, for, for Moses. Very important because of the resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection, which means there will be more. I mean, it's kind of like jamming a whole bunch of studies in one, but you listen to our study through uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll see about the, uh, the, the, the first fruits of the resurrection. Because it's... When the mortal puts on immortality, the corrupt puts on incorruption. You say, how can there be corruption in Christ? Because you're not at 100%. You're never going to hit 100% in this life. That's our glorified bodies. But when you're at 0%, you're going to have corruption. When you're at 5%, you're going to have corruption. When you're at 80%, you're going to have corruption. Now, I'm jamming a whole bunch of our studies together, but you know, you go back and listen to our study through Hebrews, you'll understand more. When you're at 80%, understand, you will have corruption. When you're at 95%, you will have corruption. You know why? Because you're not 100%. 100% is when you're dead. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? Yes, the corrupt will put on incorruption. The mortal will put on immortality. Very forward-looking is the resurrection. Also known as, for the generation that doesn't see death, the rapture. Which is not pre-tribulational. Not before the 70th week of Daniel. Not before. Biblically, not before. Go back and listen to our site. Go to the thewayunderground.com. Everything's archived. Study the, the letters to the Thessalonians. And you'll see. It's not pre-tribulational. And so look what happens here in verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, leadership matters. So Othniel has died. And very quickly, Israel has forgotten again. They do evil and the Lord is witness to it all. Remember, God is reactionary. And what does he do? So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because, remember, God is reactionary. They had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you think doing evil has no consequence? Do you think evil has no consequence? In these last days, we are witnessing the strengthening of things that are contrary to the Lord. Yes, the strengthening of evil. The rise of wickedness and evil is growing stronger. It's very interesting that we see here in verse 12 that the Lord strengthened not Israel. The Lord strengthened Eglon against Israel. How does this happen? How is it that the Lord strengthens this entity against Israel. Well, in the same verse, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten again. You see? The Lord strengthened not Israel. The Lord strengthened Eglon against Israel. He's the king of Moab. It says right here in verse 12, because, he says, this is why they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Understand, absolutely, Satan knows his time is short. Satan knows his time is short. We are in the last days and there's this rise of wickedness, this rise of evil, this rise of things that are against the Lord, these things that are on the rise that are anti-Christ. Ultimately, things that will usher in the Antichrist when Satan finds his host. But in tandem with these very things, the church, the church, that was once the salt of the earth has become flavorless salt. The church has lost its flavor. Christians, 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 Christians 
are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He is witness. Look, go inside any church. Let's look at the pastor. False doctrines, false living, false lifestyles. You say, how could a pastor have a false lifestyle when he's alive? Well, when you know the formula, when you know the formula for an overseer, which opens up the household, opens up the home, and you're going to see a lot of defunctness in the home. You see? Is that a small thing? Is that no big deal? Is it not evil? And if a guy can't tend his own home, a so-called man can't lead his own home, how in the world can he do it with the church? And yet you have these disqualified and defunct leading the church. But the proof is in the pudding. You see the result. You see the result, how it trickles down into the fellowship. It trickles down into the sanctuary. And then you see all kinds of mess inside the church. Now understand that in a fellowship, you're going to have babies. You're going to have mature and everybody in between. And those are carefully handled in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord according to his word. Remember the rugby match from our study in the book of Romans? But where you see the outpouring of the works of the flesh, like we see in Corinth, the sex, the drugs, the extortion. Oh, look, I got a cool job. I got a cool job. How'd you get it? Oh, I just did some extortion. Wickedness. Oh, look, but she's so cute. Let's just let's forget the fact that he's, she's Catholic. Oh, but he's so cute. Let's just forget the fact that he's Buddhist. So what if I'm an alcoholic? So what if I'm a crackhead? Paul, when you read the Thessalonians, go back and listen to our study through Thessalonians. And you'll see when there's separation from leaven. It's to say that the person is, don't, don't say that the person is not a believer. Because that's the Lord's call. But also understand, very important, that there has to be separation. The remnant that separates from the leaven. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. Listen, without the separation, Corinth couldn't grow. Corinth couldn't move on to perfection. Remember our studies in Hebrews 5 and 6? If the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, the Lord desires, but he wasn't permitting for Corinth until... There was separation. That's how the Lord works. That's how he works. I've never heard this before. I'm going to this Calvinist church. I've never heard about it before. Get a new pastor. I go to the hyper charismatics. I've never heard this before. Get a new pastor. I'm a Mormon. I've never heard this before. Get a new pastor. Jump ship. You see, pray fast, find a pastor who is qualified, who will shepherd you to paradise, find him. You see, 
because they watch out for your soul. They're desperate to hear the words of the Lord in your ears. They're desperate for your ears to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And they will fight. They will feed. They will protect. And they will fight the good fight. And they will kill wolves. Metaphysically, supernaturally, but they will kill wolves. Outside of that, look at the church. Look at the evil that is happening in the church. Prophetically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. And the Lord is witness. And you have Christians today, oh, to the polls, we have to vote. Let's go to the polls. We're going to vote. We're going to vote. You're going to vote. We got to vote for the next senator. We got to vote for the next governor. We got to vote for the next president. We got to vote for Congress. We got to vote for this and that. Oh, we're, listen, they're fighting a carnal fight. Or they're fighting carnally. Where are the Othniels of our time? Where are the Aksas of our time? Where are the Pauls of our time? Where are the Chloe's of our time? Who say to our knees? To our knees. Let us seek the face of the Lord. Let us humble ourselves and repent and seek the face of the Lord. Where are they? That's what I want to know. Where are such men? Where are such women? Where are such boys? Where are such girls? Where are such old people? Where are such super old people? Where? It's the remnant. Look what happens here. The Lord strengthened Eglon in verse 12. The Lord strengthened the very thing that was against Israel, and it was the Lord that was giving him strength. Picture that. Picture that for a moment. I mean, you want I mean, the strength of the Lord to be given to Israel. You want that. I mean, you, you figure, you know, God is strengthening his people, the children of Israel. You, you, you want that. And you see passages like that in Numbers, in Joshua. You see it. But remember, there are effectuators for that very thing. There are effectuators of God's promises. Where there are no effectuators, don't expect fulfillment of those promises. Expect the opposite. It's the Lord who strengthened Eglon. It's the Lord who strengthened this entity against Israel. How could this be? The Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would do. That's it. I mean, it's sad. I want to say, like, that, that's it. You know, have a nice day. No, that's it. And it's terrible. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again. After Othniel. Now look what happens in verse 13. 
Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek. Now, this is another alliance that is forming. Remember the alliances that we looked at in the book of Joshua? And so this is another alliance. This is Eglon, king of Moab, and his, ally, his allies, he's forming this alliance with Ammon and Amalek. And look what happens in verse 13. They went after and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. It got longer. With Kushan, Rishathaim, it was eight years. Now it's 18 years. I want to say something to the person who can see a generational curse in a family where sin and trespass has compounded across generations. People say, oh, there's no such thing as the generational curse. There's no such thing. The generational curse is unbiblical. Have you forgot Adam? What about that generational curse? To the person who can see the generational curse. You see, you know, you know, grandpappy, he was he made foolish decisions. Dad, mom, foolish decisions, you know, uh, aunts, uncles, foolish decisions, you know, cousins, third cousins, siblings, foolish decisions, all these, you know, second cousins, third cousins, foolish decisions. And to the person who can see the generational curse. Let it die with you. As for you, you serve the Lord. Look what happens here in verse 13. This alliance forms, they defeat Israel. They take the city of Palms. Now look in verse 14. Now Israel, they're serving Eglon, king of Moab for 18 years. But when the children in verse 15, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up the deliverer for them. Ehud, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, lefty. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. This tribute translates as donation. Donation. Lefty. In verse 16. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. Very interesting. Double-edged dagger. Double-edged Sounds familiar to me. It does. Sounds familiar. Double edged. Hmm. Notice he and, and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Very interesting. Just a little interesting to me. So you have lefty, lefty Ehud. He's a lefty, and his weapon is on the right side, which is a little odd to me from a tactical perspective. You know, you expect the weapon placement to match the strong arm. You know, but I love this so much. I love this. I love these oddities that we see in scripture. I love it so much because look at Samuel. Samuel, you know, son of uh, uh, Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. You get Samuel. Oh, he's just a little fella. Oh, he's just a little guy. But God was moving. I mean, you, you, I mean, picture that. Carnally speaking, I mean, we go back in time. You and me, we get in time machine. We go back in time. And we go to the location of where the high priest is at. And we see two males. One is an adult male. His name is Eli. 
according to the law. He's high priest according to the law. The Lord, we would we would naturally think according to the law that the Lord is speaking to him. And we go back in time and we see him. He's an adult male. We look to his side and we see the little guy. Oh, what's your name, little fella? Oh, I'm Samuel. Hello, I'm Samuel. And, you know, according to the law, it's, we would assume God is speaking to the high, you know, who is this? Hey, 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 hey little guy, step aside. We're going to speak deep spiritual matters. Little guy, step aside. We're going to speak deep on spiritual matters and speak to the high priest who the Lord speaks to according to the law. But I love these oddities that we see in scripture so much. You know why? Because the Lord was silent to the adult. The Lord was silent to the high priest. And the Lord was speaking to the little guy. The beautiful, beautiful little guy, little Samuel. And the Lord was speaking to him. I mean, but these oddities, it's like, wow, it's so, so peculiar. You would think like, wow, the Lord is going to speak to the high priest, but he's speaking to little Samuel. You got lefty over here, Ehud. You figure, okay, he's going to, you know, tactically speaking, he's going to put, you know, match the weapon placement to a strong arm. Everything matches the strength, you know, for for effectiveness in the, on the battlefield, for effectiveness in a fight. It's like, but you don't see that. I love it. What about Chloe? Oh, she's just a girl. She's just a girl. Look, Chloe, you have to submit to the males. Look, we're so awesome. You know, the coverings are always male. And so, Chloe, you have to submit to these coverings. And look, we got this nice male pastor. And look, he's he's qualified. And Chloe knows about formula. And Chloe knows fat chance. I'm not going to submit to that freak show. Chloe knows. She knows all about formula. Yes, coverings are male. But for an order for the covering to be male and qualified... Hey, I can't submit to that freak show because, yeah, he's a pastor. Yeah, he's got the pastor parking spot, but he's also a freak show. Look at what he's letting get away in the church. Look at the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife and the pastor doesn't say anything about it. Look at the guy who's doing his extortion and the pastor says nothing about it. Look at the guy who's doing his alcohol and the pastor says nothing about it. And it's not just a week. We're not talking a week. We're not talking a month. We're not talking a year. We're talking three years arrested development. Oh, Chloe, you're just a girl. Look, you got to submit to this male covering. Chloe knows. Nope, that's not happening. Not on my watch. You know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Hey, ladies, she gathers the ladies. Hey, we're going to have a fellowship at my house. You see? Oh, she's just a girl. She's just a girl. Don't listen. We're going we're gonna to listen to the men. We're going to listen to the men because we're awesome. Fools. Look at where safety was found. Chloe's household. Beautiful. I'm so in love with these. Little Samuel. Little, uh, Chloe. I don't know how old she was, but I'm assuming she's not so little. But, you know, Chloe. Little Samuel. Hannah. Beautiful Hannah. Othniel. Aksa. Ehud. I'm so in love with these people. This is our family. Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. This is our family. Not by, I know we have biological families. I know we have our biological families. You could take DNA samples and say, okay, this is the biological family. 
But what about the spiritual DNA samples that says this is the blood of Jesus Christ that flows in our spiritual veins? This is our family. Because the days are coming and the days are here now when a man's enemies will be those in his own household. Behold the last days. You see? It sounds a little weird. It sounds a little awkward. But what about your oddities? (laughs) What about your oddities? Oh, I'm gimpy. I'm a little gimpy. Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm a nerd. Praise the Lord. What's impossible with him? Nothing. Except to lie. It's impossible for God to lie, but that only accentuates his promises. Moses, look at what Moses did. Look at what God did in Moses and through Moses. And remember Exodus, if you've been walking with us for a while, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses, he wasn't eloquent. He wasn't eloquent or skilled in speech or tongue. And yet the Lord said, hey, Moses, that's my guy. Don't forget Zipporah, you know, Zipporah, that's my gal. And she, God was going to kill Moses. Don't forget Zipporah, beautiful Zipporah, intercession of the wife for her husband. You see, look at Moses, look at Zipporah. Look at what God did in him and through him. Look at what God did in Zipporah and through Zipporah. I meant Moses, shepherd of Israel. Where did Moses learn to shepherd? Where did Moses learn that? Oh, he took care of the flock of Jethro. Yeah. Who did it before him? Zipporah. You see? A lot of stupid men, carnal men, standing at pulpits, they think they're pastors. They're disqualified, but they think they're qualified pastors. They're fools. But they place women in a second class. I hate it. Because in Christ, there is no male nor female. In Christ. And yet you have these wicked pastors. And they make women second class. But when you read the Bible, you don't see women as second class. You see them as beautiful. But... If the blind want to follow the blind, then they all fall into a ditch. Look at what happens here. In verse 17, this is, remember, Ehud, lefty. I mean, he has a a dagger, a double-edged dagger in his right thigh. He says in verse 17, so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man, very fat, overweight. I mean, We'll just leave it there. So verse 18. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Notice in verse 19. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. This blows me away. It breaks my heart. It also is encouraging. It's also motivating. It's so beautiful. But there's this element of sadness. 
In verse 19, he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. Do you remember our study in Joshua? Do you remember Gilgal? The stones of the priesthood and Joshua, the early chapters of Joshua. Picture what is happening here with Ehud. So Ehud, he gives his tribute to Eglon and the Hebrew translates as a present. So Ehud gives this present, this tribute. He sends the people away. But having recollection of Gilgal in its prior state, he remembers the stones of Gilgal. He remembers the stones of the priesthood, the stones of Joshua. Remember the, the altar? He remembers the good state of Gilgal. And now it's replaced by this king of Moab who now puts in verse 19 these stone images idolatry these idols are now there I meant say for example have you ever been like like 20 years ago or 50 years ago like a town that is like so beautiful like 50 years ago 30 years ago you like you used to you know ride bikes you used to go to the shop and buy candy and drink a soda and just you know just everything was beautiful everything was nice everything was pristine everything was safe but then you look at a town today and it's all decrepit all decrepit run down improperly managed the mayor's corrupt the governor's corrupt you see the corruption of these overseers according to the flesh these mayors and they're corrupt and you see cities and towns and neighborhoods they just they go south really fast and it's wow it's so sad i grew up here it's so sad i grew up here i remember this in its glory days i remember this when it was awesome when it was safe it was you know you could you, the children could you know just you know play here and you wouldn't have to worry about you know predators coming to you know kidnap them you wouldn't have to worry about you know these freak shows coming to do you know dirty things with the children you didn't have to it wasn't even a thought in the head because it was nice and safe but now you look at a town and it's all decrepit and like, what happened? The new management is, they were fools. New management are fools. And you see the result in a city. But now, you know, you have this mindset and we remember and we look at Ehud here. Who he himself remembers the beauty of Gilgal. The beauty of the stones. Remember the stones in the Jordan? The priesthood. There's stones outside the water. Stones inside the water. The altar. Very important. Especially in these last days. You say, oh, that's just Joshua. That's Old Testament. No, no, no. <laughs> these are things that we're going to go back to. I mean, if the Lord's willing, the Lord permits. And we're is still able to teach during the 70th week of Daniel, these are things that we're going to go back to. These are things that we're going to go back to and we're going to go deep for the remnant. And Ehud, in verse 19, 
he turns back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. It's like he sees the stone images translates as idols. He sees Gilgal. He remembers what Gilgal was, the beauty of these stones in the in the remember the stones in the water, stones outside the water, the altar, and then the copy, remember? I mean, if you're listening, you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to our study in the book of Joshua. You'll understand more. And with this recollection, he turns away from what Gilgal has now become. The beauty of Gilgal, what has now become with idolatry under the leadership, the new management of Eglon. He just sent the people in verse 18. He sent them the people away who carried the tribute. Or present, how it translates in the Hebrew. And in verse 19, Ehud, he turns to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence! Exclamation point. This is Eglon speaking to Ehud. Keep silence! You know, it's a secret message. I don't want anybody to hear. What is this secret message? Keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So understand, after all, it is a secret message. In verse 20, so Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. So you picture that, you know, Eglon, he's the, he's the king of Moab. He formed this alliance this coalition he has some clout to him and he's in his upper chamber a cool place a private chamber shaded ehud comes to him and in verse 20 then ehud said i have a message from god for you picture that curiosity of eglon Eglon says here, so he arose from his seat. Just picture this, if you will. What is happening? Eglon sends everyone away to hear this secret message. So the king could hear this secret message. And now Eglon hears that it's from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who Eglon himself does not acknowledge as God. Remember, he replaced the things of God with idols, the gods that he worshipped. What is this message of Ehud? Then Ehud, in verse 21, reached with his left hand. He reached with his left hand. Remember, verse 17. Verse 17 reveals that Eglon was a very fat man. Ehud's dagger was sharp, double-edged and sharp. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and it was that blade was so deep that even the handle went into his blade. And it says here in verse 22 that even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. 
for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Now, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but entrails here, that's like bowels and guts and intestines. They flowed out of Eglon. That's, that's what happened. Then Ehud, in verse 23, then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Egress. Ehud, he exits. Verse 24, when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look. And to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. Now, some translations here, and you know, when you look at the iteration of some wording, I get how some translations say he's taking a nap. Maybe he's going to the bathroom, maybe doing something else in his private chamber. I don't want to get graphic, but private matters. That's what the servant, oh, he's probably tending to his needs in the coolness of his chamber. And the servants just figured, okay, we'll give him some time. Verse 25, so they waited until they were embarrassed. So translate says they were confounded. You know, this should only take a couple minutes. I mean, if he was going to the bathroom, this should only take a couple minutes. You know, maybe it's not a stand-up bathroom. Maybe it's a sit-down bathroom. So we'll give him some more time. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So they're confounded. They waited until they were confounded or translates as, you know, embarrassed or translates as confounded. They waited and still in verse 25, he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. You see? Judgment. Judgment. Through the vessel, Ehud. You see? Notice what happens here in verse 26. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed. You see? Swift, silent, deadly. He made egress. But swift, silent, and deadly. With his present, the tribute, which translates as present. You see? Nice and clean with the Lord. Now, a little disclaimer. I'm not, you know, observe Israel according to the flesh. I'm not advocating any kind of carnal fight. But you see, nice and clean with the Lord. Ehud had escaped while they delayed. And Ehud, this isn't just run-of-the-mill guy going on a mission. No, this is, this is Ehud. Not run-of-the-mill. This is somebody who the Lord raised up. You see, the formula is right in Ehud. You see, and this is Israel according to the flesh. This is the old covenant. I'm not saying, you know, like, you know, we're Christians and so, you know, we're going to go on, you know, carnal missions and do this. And, you know, no, this is observe Israel according to the flesh. For you and me, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You look at Paul. You look at Paul in the book of Acts. And you see like, oh my goodness, this guy is a warrior. He is just, he goes into synagogue. He goes right into the hornet's nest. He goes right into the synagogue and he teaches and he, and he proves from Torah, from the scrolls, from the prophets, from the poet, uh, the, the poetic verses, from Torah. He proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Deadly. He's deadly. But then you see him being taken away. You see him being beaten. You see him chained up. You see him thrown in jail. You see him left for dead. How could this mighty warrior be so weak? 
because that's the fight is not carnal. It's not carnal. You see this mighty warrior in Paul. According to the spirit, mighty warrior. But you're like, wow, you know what? They're throwing, they're throwing stones at him and he's just taking it. They're beating him and he's just taking it. They're throwing, they threw him in jail and he's just taking it. Look, he's so weak. He's so weak. No. He's fighting according to a very specific set rules of engagement. He was fighting according to the rules of engagement of the old covenant. But that's when he was struck by the Lord. Is it hard to kick against the goads? The Lord presented him with a choice. Balls in your court, Saul. And Saul chose wisely. And then he was referred to as Paul. You see? Our fight is not according to the flesh. It is entirely spiritual, entirely supernatural. In verse 26, Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Seirah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet, the shofar. Shofar, shofar. He blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. I love this so much. I love Ehud. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. In verse 28, then he said to them, follow me for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him. I'm so in love with Ehud. You see, he's not in the rear with the gear. He's taking point. Follow me for the Lord has delivered me into you, delivered your enemies into your hand, the Moabites into your hand. And the people followed him. They went down after him. You know what that says? Ehud, he's on point. You see, I love that. He doesn't stand in the back and say, hey, guys, you do that. I'm going to stand right here and you guys go over there. I'm going to stay right here where it's nice and safe and you go over there. He's like, no, I'm going to get down. And, you know, we're in the thick of battle and no, it's time to fight. Follow me. He's taking point. Notice they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. In verse 29, <clears throat> and at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. Now, do you remember verse 2? you remember verse 2? Now, they didn't, they didn't know how to fight. That generation, they didn't know how to fight. But now, now they know. You see, now it's a lot easier to remember the Lord and walk in his ways. But remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And now you have this generation now where they used to not know how to fight, but now they're fighters. Now they're fighters. Now they're warriors. Now they're fighting. 
They killed about 10,000 men of Moab. Remember, this is according to the flesh. Oh, but it's the Bible, the Bible. They, they, they killed 10,000. Look, it's the Bible. Yeah, it's the Bible. But it's the Old Covenant, rules of engagement of the Old Covenant. You see, New Covenant? Different ballgame. Very important. You see, this generation in Ehud's time of Judges 3, this generation, war isn't a stranger to them anymore. They have learned how to fight. Leadership matters. And Ehud, he's not in the rear with the gear. He's on point. Remember Paul? What does Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's on point. Where are the Pauls of our day? Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But whether or not you follow, you better make sure the formula is right. Because a guy says, go ahead, study Bible guy. Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Follow me as I follow Christ. You follow that guy, hello, lake of fire. You see, you have to know formula. Leadership matters. Notice what happens here in verse 30. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Under Othniel, there was rest 40 years. Ehud, 80 years. You see? Beautiful. Beautiful. The land had rest. Leadership matters. In closing, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Now, I love this. You know, verse 31, it's one of my favorite verses. It's so sweet. It's so sweet here. Because look, the Lord raises another judge, Shamgar. Now, Othniel has multiple verses about him. Ehud has multiple verses about him. Shamgar? Just, just one. Just one. But, you know, th there's another mention of Shamgar in, in chapter 5. But, you know, for now, just one. But, look at what Shamgar did. The judge raised by the Lord in verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed... 600 men of the Philistines. Now, 600 men. 600 men. Kill, you know, you, you take a guy who kills 600 men. It's like, okay, who is this guy? How buff is he? How strong is he? How, is, how skilled is he in weaponry? How, you know, what weapons does he use? What is he equipped to use? But in the case of Shamgar, how was he armed? What weapons did he use? <laughs> and we see here in verse 31, he killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. <laughs> a stick. A stick that was used to direct an ox. That's the ox goad. The same thing that Jesus says to Paul. Is it hard to kick against the goads? You see? And that's what the ox would do. Like, you know, you take a disobedient ox. Anytime you see ox in the Old Testament, more than likely you're having an Old Testament example of a pastor. 
or an elder, an overseer, very likely. But what would happen is like, you know, if you were like, you know, working a farm, you know, before machinery, modern machinery, you have an ox and you, you know, that the ox would, you know, pull the little thing, the plow and, you know, and, 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 and work the ground, make the ground soft. And you know, you know how it is when you plant seeds and stuff. And so the ox and every now and then you get a little ruffian ox, you get the little ruffian ox. And so you're standing behind the ox, you're, you're holding the, the plow and it's attached to the ox and the ox is a big, strong animal and it's just pulling the plow like it's, like it's a piece of cake, like nothing. And there that is. And then all of a sudden you get a little disobedient one and you take that stick, the goad, and you just whack him on the backside, you know, just whack him. Hey, you know, cut it out. You know, hey, you know, he, he turns a little bit to one side. Hey, cut it out. You know, you're supposed to go straight. I'm teaching you to go straight. Hey, go straight. Or they get a little nasty. It's like, hey, cut it out. You take your ox goad. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ says to Paul. Is it hard to kick against the goads? Because that's what Paul, as Saul, that's what he was doing in his disobedience. Because the seed had arrived. And the seed was Jesus. And remember, the word became flesh. And the seed is the word of God. And Jesus told him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard to kick against the goads? Because the Lord Jesus was telling him, you're disobedient. You think you're obeying my commands, but let's go back to the law and let me ask you a question. Is it hard to kick against the goads? Because when you look at the law, the Bible says, according to the law, when you have a disobedient ox, yeah, you know, you got the little, you know, a little smack with the goat, a little smack here, smack there. But when he's so disobedient that he, he causes harm and he kills others, you know what you're supposed to do with the ox? You're supposed to kill the ox. According to the law, you're supposed to kill the ox. Then you have Calvinists who say, oh, you know, look, God, God made Paul a Christian. No, Paul made his choice. When Jesus says, you know, Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Is it hard to kick against the goats? You say that to a Pharisee of Pharisees. And Jesus was telling him, not only are you disobedient, but you want to be an ox? You want to be a worker? You continue down this path in disobedience and you kill. And that's what Paul was doing, killing Christians. You're going to die. You see? Ball's in your court, Saul. You have a choice to make, Saul. And the Lord took away his vision. The Lord took away his vision. He could not see. And when he received sight, he was in the home of Ananias. Beautiful, beautiful Ananias. Beautiful, beautiful Ananias. And Saul... Formerly Saul, now he's Paul. He made his choice and he chose wisely. He chose well. You see, the Calvinists, oh, 
God made him a Christian. God made him a Christian. Nope. God doesn't make robots. He was presented with the choice and he chose wisely. He chose well. This Shamgar here in verse 31, son of Anath, he killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. Very interesting what we see here. I love these oddities that we see in scripture so much. I love it. You look at Lefty, Ehud. You look at little Samuel. You look at Chloe. Oh, Chloe, you're just a girl. You're just female. No. Mighty warrior. Shamgar, mighty warrior. Samuel, mighty warrior. I love it. I love it. I love it. But you have to have eyes to see. You see? Only with God, with Him, all things are possible. You see? The Lord makes what is seemingly impossible completely possible, and that only happens with the Lord. Look at what Shamgar did. This judge of Israel. And in so doing, look at verse 31. And he also delivered Israel. Praise be to the Lord for such a time as this in the days of Shamgar, who the Lord raised up. For such a time as this in our day, today. Who is it that the Lord is raising up for such a time as this? To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.